podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Monday, the 29th of March, and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is, as you know, a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network. It allows you to go online, change your location, access American Netflix, access Now TV if you're from the UK, but outside of the UK for whatever reason and want to use it. Brexit won't allow you anymore. A Liberty Shield VPN will. It will also keep your data safe online, keep your, you know, your browser history uh, private to you if that's the type of thing you you, you need. Uh, check out LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPL VPN and you'll get twenty percent off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out HomeofHopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, it is Monday, so it's a new week, but we don't have any Premier League games to talk about. So this week, we're going to be making it up as we go along. Um, I have a couple of things to do during the week from Twitter questions that came in last Thursday. Uh, So we'll run them into shows this week. Today, though, it's a news day. Uh, We'll also have a little look at some of the international stuff from the weekend. But breaking news this morning from David Ornstein in The Athletic, is that Liverpool are finalising a deal to sign Ibrahima Kanate from RB Leipzig. Now, he says the deal is not done, but it is well advanced. Significant process, significant progress has been made on a player who Liverpool see as keen to their recruitment plans. Now, he's someone I've talked about before. He's someone I've suggested they would be in for. I think this would be an immense signing for Liverpool. If they can get him... His buyout clause is around €40 million. If they can get him and Ozan Kabak locked up this summer, that's two long-term targets, two young centre-backs that they can have for a long, long time. Now, you're looking at €40 million is about £34 million. The the buy clause on Kabak is £16 So they'd get the two of them for £50 combined. They're both really young. They're both super high potential. Now, Kanate, to me, I would say him and Jules Kunde are the two best of this incredible generation of French centre-backs that are now emerging. I would always take Quebec over Upamecano. Upamecano's flashier. Quebec is a much better defender. Fundamentally better, reads the game better, better on the ball, not quite as quick, but still very quick. And I don't think he has the long-term concerns that you'd have with Upa Meccano. said before, Upa Meccano's body, quite heavy set. And if you look at players like Rooney that had that same you know, heavy set muscular frame, they tend to break down a bit earlier, 25, 26, 27. And that's kind of it for them. There are some concerns with Kanate. He has had a couple of injuries. Now, People jump to transfer market and look at the information there. And and it's fine. It's a good resource, but it is a little bit misleading. So 
the hip injury is mentioned three different times. A, a torn muscle fiber. Um, that's one injury. It's a hip injury that he suffered having been overplayed in his first full season. He had two setbacks in his recovery. It wasn't new injuries. It was just setbacks. But it all gets lumped. It, it all gets put as separate injuries. But it is actually one injury. That is the only major injury he's had. He had a sprained ankle this season. That can happen to anybody. Other than that, people say, well, he's barely played for Leipzig this season. Leipzig are being super careful with him, and they've spoken about this. He's only played 15 games in all competitions, uh, nine in the league. But he has been fit for a lot more of them. He played six Champions League games out of the eight they played. So in bigger games, they were tending to use him. But they have been careful with him because they understand that they have this elite talent. And at 21, they don't want to be responsible for compromising his career. Because remember what Leipzig is. Leipzig is a football factory. The whole Red Bull system is a football factory. The aim is to buy players cheap develop them, and sell them on and make big money, which you then turn into three or four more players. That's their whole business model. And they know that if they start to get reputations for A, not selling players when they want to leave, or B, causing players to get injured and affecting their long-term future, players are going to stop going there. They have to be appealing to young players, and they are because of how they treat them. Now, Kanate's buyout clause, like I say, is 40 million euro. That's way under value for a player of his talent. Way under value. When you consider Wesley Fafana, who's much less proven, went for 32 million last summer, I think it was. And it's 36 for Kanate, who's more proven, a better player at this point, I think I think he has a higher ceiling than Fafana as well. I think Fafana is going to be great. I think Kanate will be better as long as he stays fit. Now, Liverpool obviously will have done the research on his injury. And I think, you know, if they're willing to, to go for him, I, I think you can be fairly certain that they're confident that the injury isn't anything to be concerned about. And he'll turn 22 in May. Ozan Kabak turned 21 just the other day, Thursday. So between the pair of them, that's a long-term solution for Liverpool. They'll have Van Dijk as their number one. You'd imagine Kanate will be the primary partner for him. Kabak then might be the third choice. And he'll play both sides and spell the other two. Joe Gomez will be brought back from this injury slowly because of the severity of it. And then I think Ben Davies stays as the fifth centre-back. A left footer who can also fill in at left back if needed. Don't think he's going to be too demanding. Homegrown. Still a decent age. I think Davies stays as the fifth. And then Fabinho is your sort of, in case of emergency, break glass. He's the number six. I think Matip goes. I'd be amazed if Nat Phillips isn't sold. I think Reese Williams probably gets loaned out. But I think it'll be Quebec and Kanate in for about £50 million. I think they'll get somewhere in the region of 8 to 10 for Nat Phillips. 
Matip, I mean, he's obviously had so many injury problems, but any team buying him won't be a Premier League team. You're looking at Serie A, maybe the Bundesliga, maybe PSG, or maybe La Liga. But I think Serie A or, or PSG are the likely ones. PSG had big interest in him last summer. Those leagues are less physical. They're played at a slower tempo. I think he'd be better off in those leagues. When you look at Joel Matip's career, he wasn't an injury-prone player prior to joining Liverpool. When he was at Schalke, he had one injury. He had a couple of plates put into his foot. But it didn't cause him to miss a lot of games. Um, his first season there was the 0-9-10 season. He was only a squad player, 22 games as a squad player. Then he was 42, 47, 39, 42, 25 in the season he hurt his foot, and 41. He played over 30 league games four times from six seasons as a full-time starter. Over 25 games in all bar one. Now remember, there's only 34 games in the Bundesliga season. So he was playing regularly, even his first season at Liverpool, 29 games in the league. 32 in all competitions. The following season, 25 in the league, 35 in all comps. Then he starts to have the injury trouble. 22 games in the league. Then 19, 20, nine games in the league. And then this season, he's only managed 10 and he's out for the year. He'll have only played 25 games in the last two seasons. But prior to that, while he had had some injuries at Liverpool, he'd still played 30-plus games. He didn't really have many injury issues at Schalke. So I think people will look at his injury record and go, you know what, for the majority of his career, especially his non-Premier League career, he was absolutely fine. So why wouldn't we trust him to be fine again? I think Liverpool will find a buyer for Joe Matip, probably somewhere in the region of 18 to 22 million pounds. And I think if they can bring in around 30 million for him and Phillips, then it's only a 20 million net outlay at centre-back. And their centre-back situation is then solved for a long, long time. Potentially, Quebec and Kanate is the long-term pairing. That would certainly be the hope. Ben Davies, a couple of years, Salomon, Billy Cometio steps in as the, you know, the fifth centre-back. Joe Gomez, you bring along slowly, get him back up to speed, see what he's going to be, make a decision on him in a year. Van Dijk is Van Dijk. He's the best centre-back in the world. He's going to be the best centre-back in the world for the next couple of seasons. And in, maybe in a couple of seasons you decide, look, Quebec is not going to be a starter, but Kanate is nailed on. Let's go and find a partner for him. Either way, you're in a good situation. I think Kanate makes all the sense for Liverpool. At that price, it's a bargain. At that price, to me, it's a bargain. $34 million is a bargain for him. $50 million for the two of them is great business. If they can get that deal across the line, I'd be, I'll be absolutely delighted. Um, it, it is obviously, you know, it's early days. We're still only in, in March. But if Liverpool are moving now, that's a really good sign. Get him signed because there are other clubs interested. But get him done nice and early. 
and then you can move on to your other targets in midfield and attack. Um, Ornstein also reports that the Premier League are hopeful of introducing automated offside technology from 2022. So this could be really beneficial because obviously there's been a whole bunch of nonsense this year over offside calls and the positioning of the lines, you know, where it's drawn from on the arm or the shoulder or the elbow or the hip or the foot or whatever it is. Uh, This would be something similar enough to Hawkeye and could be massively beneficial. It could take away a lot of the question marks, a lot of the debate over offsides and make it, you know, more of a a simple science. He either is or he isn't. Um, We know they've changed the rules a couple of times this season, and um, it it is very much a make-it-up-as-you-go-along thing. If they bring in something like this, they can no longer do that. Speaking of Hawkeye, uh, I did notice it wasn't in play when Portugal played Serbia at the weekend, and Cristiano Ronaldo scored a goal, uh, which clearly crossed the line and uh, wasn't given. Um, Ronaldo responded in you know the typically mature fashion that you'd expect him to by having a tantrum, getting booked, having another tantrum, storming off while the game was still going, throwing his armband on the ground, and then marching down the tunnel. Uh, um, quite a petulant display from Cristiano, but you can understand why he was so aggrieved. The ball had clearly crossed the line, and um, that is on that is on UEFA to, to resolve it or well, it's FIFA actually, isn't it? Because for the world cup. So it's strange that it wasn't in play. It really is because it's meant to be in play at all senior levels now to not be in play for a world cup qualifier is, is strange. And you know, UEFA and FIFA have both come out and they've, they've given their excuses, but I'm sorry. It's just, it's not acceptable to me that it it wouldn't be in play for a game of that magnitude. What if those, what if those two points lost cost Portugal a place in the World Cup? Cost Cristiano Ronaldo his last shot at playing in a World Cup? He's one of the, the game's greats. The World Cup needs him there. If he doesn't, if, if, if Portugal miss out because of it, now I don't think they will. I think they'll be absolutely fine. They've got a, an immense squad there. But if worse came to worse than they did, I mean, I, I think you'd, you'd see massive pushback. Massive pushback against this. Um, and probably some online campaigns. Uh, surprising news out of Newcastle. Dwight Gale has signed a new contract. Now, this has come a little bit out of left field. It's a three-year contract on reduced terms. Now, given that Gale has been at Newcastle quite a while, five years, and he's, you know, he was really good when they signed him first. They bought him when they went into the championship. Um, and he was brilliant. Scored 23 goals in 32 games, got them promoted, and then just got reduced to a squad player. Now, he is one of those players like Matthias Vidra, at Burnley, who's great in the Championship and does struggle a bit in the Premier League. It must be said, he does struggle a bit in the Premier League. But, you know, like he's had three seasons in the Premier League with Newcastle. Scored six goals, four goals, and, 11, and one goal. Sorry. 
six four and one eleven in total across uh, sixty six appearances. So one in six, not great. It's not great. He's only played eleven times this season in the league. Twenty last season. He did have the eighteen nineteen season on loan in the championship with West Brom. That was when Benitez agreed the deal to swap Gale for Rondon, two loans. Rondon did well for Newcastle. Gale was brilliant in the championship. 23 goals again in 39 games this time. He's a great championship player. And it surprises me that he would be willing to stay at Newcastle. Unless he has the feeling that they're going down. And unless the internal feeling is that they're going down. And they want him because they know he's guaranteed goals in the championship. But it's quite surprising to me that he's agreed that deal and that the club have even offered it to him. Um, it, it does feel like Newcastle are, are preparing themselves for life in in the championship. It, ju- it just does feel like that. Bad news for everybody. Mike Dean seems like he's going to stick around and referee in the Premier League next year. Uh, Dean, who has been refereeing in the Premier League since 2000, uh, will turn 53 next season. And uh, and believes he can still do a job at the highest level. Mike Dean has been awful for about 10 years now. And I've said before, a 52-year-old man, or 53-year-old man as he will be next season, cannot keep up with prime athletes in their 20s. He just can't. I don't care who he is, how fit he is. He cannot keep up with the world's best football players. And the Premier League should be making him retire. He should have been forced to retire, I would say, seven years ago. I think 45 should be the cutoff point. I'm not accepting that this man is, like, he's a bad referee anyway. So why on earth would you be keeping him? I really don't understand why you would be keeping him around. He is a bad referee. And we've seen him this season be absolutely shocking. It makes no sense to me that he'd be allowed to continue to referee. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, going to have a quick look at something I saw on The Athletic over the weekend. They went through the 20 biggest transfers of all time and asked whether or not they'd been worth the money. And they sort of hedged on most of them. I'm not a hedging type of guy, so I'm going to actually have a quick look at them and see whether or not the 20 most expensive players of all time were what the money or not. We'll see you in a minute. Right, welcome back. Uh, as I said before the break, we're going to have a quick look at the top 20 biggest transfers of all time and ask whether or not they're worth the money. So the first one on the list is obviously Neymar. Uh, 222 million euro from Barcelona to PSG back in 2017. There's no question he's a remarkable footballer. There's no question he's done brilliant things with PSG. But he was bought there to win a Champions League. Simple as that. That's the only reason. Well, he, no, there's two reasons he was brought there. Number one, he was brought there to win the Champions League. Number two, he was brought there to promote the 2022 World Cup. Obviously, the Qatari government or an arm of the Qatari government own PSG. They want to promote the World Cup that they have. They're very proud of the fact they're going to host the World Cup. And they wanted the biggest stars to help them promote that. It's one of the reasons they tried to sign Cristiano Ronaldo a couple of times. 
it's the main reason, or one of the main reasons, they brought in Neymar. When you look at his appearances, now bear in mind they play 38 games in the French League each season. He has played 20, 17, 15, and 12 this season. So he's missed 18, 21, 23, and I think 14 so far this year. It's not ideal. Now, he does play in the Champions League most of the time. But as you just saw, he missed the last round against Barcelona. He's missed knockout phases pretty much every year. When he's on the pitch, he's brilliant. He's scored, a hundred, he's scored 83 goals in 104 games for them. His assist numbers are off the charts. He's a brilliant, brilliant player. And I think in the bigger picture of things, he probably has been worth the money to the owners in terms of the spotlight he's brought on the club. I think he's a big part of the reason they got that, that uh, Jordan brand deal. And I'd imagine he's had a huge effect on the World Cup next year. But on the pitch, I don't think you can say he's justified the, the fee. It's, it's not a flop or anything like that, because he has been good. But I don't think you can say he's justified the fee. Kylian Mbappe will be next, 180 million euro. Now, he signed the same summer as Neymar, but the deal went through the following year, loan with an obligation to buy. And I think it's the same thing. He was bought to win the Champions League and to promote the World Cup. Now, he has done more on the pitch than Neymar. Um, he's played a lot more. His goal-scoring record, 120 in 160, is sensational. But they haven't won a Champions League. So, for that reason, I don't think you can nail it down as a success, but... I would say he's been more of a success than Neymar. Now, Neymar has re-signed a new contract, and he's committed to staying there long-term. Mbappe's contract runs out next summer. Now, whether or not he stays is massive. If he walks away, they can afford to just throw away 180 million euro. But still. That would be a massive, massive slap in the face. If they have paid out that kind of money for him and he walks away on a free contract next summer, that's that would be insane. Uh, Philippe Coutinho, Liverpool to Barcelona. Uh, January 2018, 145 million euros. There's no other way to look on this as it has been a disaster. Um, remarkably gifted player, brilliant for Liverpool. Has not worked at all at Barcelona. Has not worked at all. He's already been spent, been sent out on loan. The most notable thing he's done since leaving Liverpool was score twice for Bayern against Barcelona while on loan there. Rumours are that Barca are set to sell him this summer and are willing to accept about $100 million less than they paid. I, I Personally, I think that's foolish. I... I think I think he's good enough that you keep him and use him properly. Stop using him as a midfielder. He's an attacking player. Find a way to get him in the team. If he's playing on the left of a 4-4-2, that'll work. Don't try and play him in a midfield three. Definitely don't try and play him in a midfield two. But at 28, he's too good to just be 
on the scrap heap. I hope someone picks him up this summer and, and really goes about building a team that plays to his strengths. He's a fantastic player. He really, really is a fantastic player. And there's been some rumours that he's going to, you know, that he would be interested in a return to Liverpool. Liverpool will have no interest in that, I don't think. But I, I would welcome him back, personally. Because you can never have too many good players. Uh, next up, João Felix Benfica to Atletico Madrid. 126 million euro in the summer of 2019. This, at the time, seemed like a strange move. Because Diego Simeone plays a, a brand of football that didn't really seem conducive to getting the best out of Joe Felix. Now, Felix, for my money, has improved since going there. And if they win the title this year, he, he will have played a big role in that. Um, his all-round game has been really, really impressive at times this season. Now, look, he's still inconsistent because he's 21. All 21-year-olds are, are inconsistent. You'd like to see more goals... He's only got 19 in 69 games, whereas he scored 20 and 43 in his one season with Benfica's senior team. But he is more of a creator, a second striker, potentially even a Kaka-esque number 10, like a goal-scoring 10. There's rumors that he could leave this summer. Um, I don't see it because I don't think anyone will pay the money that Atletico would want. They're not going to sell him at a loss, I couldn't imagine. They bought him at 19. They're selling a better player at 21. I don't think they'll sell him at a loss. So I think they'll hold on to him. If they win the league, I think it moves towards success. Right now, it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, Antoine Griezmann, Atletico Madrid to Barcelona, 120 million. Same season, obviously, he was sold. Felix was bought to replace him. It, it, I, I, again, I, I think as with Coutinho, this one's been fairly close to disastrous for Barca. Um, it was an awful lot of money to pay for a guy of his age. He was 28. He'd been at the top and he'd been putting in a lot of hard yards under Simeone for five years. When you consider his seasons at, at Atletico, 25 and 53, 32 and 54, 26 and 53, 29 and 49, 21 and 48. At Barca, he's only scored 29 goals in 88. So his goal numbers have dropped. His performance level has dropped. It always seemed like a bit of a weird fit, especially given they still had Suarez. Not to mention Messi, Coutinho, Usman Dembele. You've got the emergence of Ansu Fati. You've got the emergence of Pedri who they stole from Las Palmas, I think it was, for four million or something ridiculous. Um, he has been marginalized in his role. And I think he probably regrets his decision to push his way out of Atletico. Now, you know, he has won. Um, he hasn't won anything. No, he hasn't won anything, of course, because Real won the title last season and Atletico looked like they could win it this season. Barca are in the mix this season and they're playing really well of late, but... Yeah, I, I think he'll be disappointed. I do. I think he'll be disappointed in his decision. Especially if Atletico win the league this season. Um, next up then, again, it's Barcelona. And again, I think it's one that you would have to mark down as a, a bit of a failure. Well, quite a, quite a bit of a failure. Usman Dembele. Injuries. Lack of 
dedication and commitment, lack of consistency, lack of a, def- a definitive position in the team. They bought him from Dortmund. He played as a, a left-footed right winger under Tuchel. Him on the left and Pulisic on the right. And for whatever reason, Barca looked at it and thought, right, that's the fella for us. That's what we're going to do. Even though they were playing 4-3-3 with Messi on the right, they thought it was a good decision to to th- throw out 105 million euro uh, in a, in the summer of 2017 for Usman Dembele. Wonderfully gifted player. But they were replacing Neymar, who played on the other side. Now, you, you could play Dembele, and he has played a bit on the left, but he is much more comfortable on the right-hand side. The way he forced his way out of Dortmund was, you know, reason for red flags. But this one has been pretty much a disaster. He's still very young, so he still has plenty of time to turn things around. But for now, it doesn't look good. And that's three of the top six signings of all time have gone to Barcelona. None of them have been a success. So if you want to know why Barca are in the financial mess they're in right now and why they've fallen off so severely, that's your reason. That's your reason. 370 million euro spent on Coutinho, Griezmann and Dembele. None of them a success. None of them even sniffing being a success. And I think only one of them would a chance to be a success in Dembele. And I doubt he even gets the opportunity. Uh, next up, number seven, Paul Pogba. Juventus to Manchester United. 105 million euro in the summer of 2016. He's had one good season there. United fans will tell you that he's been their best player here, there and everywhere, that he's the best midfielder in the world. He's never been anywhere close to being the best midfielder in the world. He's never even been the best midfielder in Manchester because there's a fella across the way in in blue who has three initials, who's on a completely different level to him. There's another guy called Ilke Gundogan who's now on another completely different level to to Paul Pogba. Pogba has been a flop. He has been a flop. It's as simple as that. World record fee hasn't come close. Hasn't come close to justifying it. And now United are in a situation where they either either need to sell him at a big loss, keep him another year and let him leave for free, or extend him on improved terms that he hasn't earned. Flop. Uh, Eden Hazard, a flop. Chelsea to Real Madrid for 100 million in 2019. Uh, the worst transfer on this list, I would imagine. I can't think that there'll be one worse. I genuinely can't. He has been a disaster. He scored four goals since he joined. He has had a lot of injuries, but he has been an absolute shambles. He does not look the same player. He physically and in terms of his actual production, he doesn't look the same player at all. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Real Madrid to Juventus, 100 million euro in 2018. He was brought to win the Champions League. He hasn't won the Champions League. Simple as that. He hasn't won the Champions League for them. He hasn't improved them. They were winning titles before they signed him. They won titles with him. He didn't make any difference there. I think it goes down as a mistake. It's not a failure because he scored a whole bunch of goals. He plays all the time. But uh, it's it's definitely not a success. Um, Gareth Bale, Real Madrid, Tottenham to Real Madrid, 100 million in 2013. Um, from what they won, amazing. Four European Cups, 
He scored uh, in two finals, had some other big moments. But in terms of his week-to-week production, no, you can't say it's a success. You just can't. You cannot say it's a success based on how he actually played. Week-to-week, game-to-game. And then, obviously, the shenanigans over the last couple of years, the fact that he's out on loan, he's already talking that he's going to go back there. They don't want him back. You can't say it's been a success. From a, a, a success point of view, absolutely. Four Champions Leagues is incredible, but in terms of how he's actually performed, no way. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Manchester United to Real Madrid, 94 million euro in 2019. Uh, maybe, maybe one of the best transfers of all time, in, in truth. Uh, sensational. 450 goals in 438 games, four European Cups, four European Golden Boots, uh, I think four World Player of the Year awards as well. Sensational. Absolutely sensational. Gonzalo, Gonzalo Higuain, Napoli to Juve, 90 million euro in 2016. Um, brilliant for Napoli. Ill-suited to Juve. Didn't, didn't fit how they played. They signed him purely to, to just kind of kill Napoli as a challenger. He'd scored 36 goals, which is a Serie A record, in his last season there. They paid his buyout clause and stole him off them. But, I mean, it was this deal and then the Ronaldo deal that kind of blew out the balance sheet at Juventus, who to that point had been brilliantly run and had been so intelligent in the transfer market. Every deal they made, you'd look at and go, that's really clever. How's no one else thought of that? But that deal and then Ronaldo, just baffling. Uh, Harry Slabhead Maguire, Leicester City to Manchester United. 87 million euro, the world's most expensive defender in 2019. Um, It hasn't been good. It certainly hasn't been good. Um, Michael Cox says, a good start, an uncertain second half of his first campaign and a reasonably uh, reasonably positive, reasonably positive second season. Nonsense, nonsense. A bang average first season, littered with mistakes, and a bad second season. Team performance doesn't factor into it here. A bad second season. He has been made look dreadful multiple times. Um, for that type of money, that's a failure. Especially when you consider that the guy. Leicester replaced him with had been sitting on their bench in Kagler Sionchu, who has massively outperformed Harry Maguire. That's a failure. Romelu Lukaku, Everton to Manchester United, 85 million, 2017. Look, he scored goals everywhere he'd been. He went to United and he didn't score enough goals. 16 in the league, then 12 in the league. It it didn't fit. It didn't work. He wasn't motivated. They didn't seem to know how to use him properly. There was obviously the upheaval of Mourinho getting sacked. Mourinho was the manager that brought him in, and then and then Oli coming in. There'd been a lot of talk that summer that the striker Mourinho wanted was Morata, and that Lukaku wanted to go to Chelsea to play for Conte. 
And then somehow Lukaku ended up at, at, at Chelsea under Mourinho, who'd sold him once before from Chelsea. And Conte ended up with Morata. Both bad situations. Neither worked at all. I think Lukaku is a great player. United lost quite a bit of money in this deal. About 17 million, I think they lost in total. Now, that 85 million does not include the add-ons. Now, I don't imagine he triggered many of them. So that's fine. It was originally, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was, there was about 15 million in add-ons. Um, they paid 85 million euro. They got back, I think, 68 million euro. So not great. I don't think it's a failure, but not great. Uh, Virgil van Dijk to Liverpool, 84.5 million euro. Runaway success. There's no need to talk about it. Runaway success. Luis Suarez, Liverpool to Barcelona, 82.5 million euro in 2014. An absolute runaway success. European Cup, four league titles, golden boot, one of the best players in the world. He's third in Barca's all-time scoring standings, which is incredible considering he was there for six years. Uh, Romelu Lukaku, Manchester United to Inter. It's been a success so far. They'll win the league this season, and, and that will cap that one off. Nicolas Pepe, Lille to Arsenal, €80 million, Euro, 2019. Um, look, they overpaid for them massively because they couldn't actually afford them. Lille's asking price was not the £72 million they paid for him. But Arsenal could only pay a very small amount up front. We saw the same thing this summer with Victor Asimian going to, uh, to Napoli. They paid way over the odds because the upfront fee was minimal. Same thing here. Arsenal paid about £5 million down with a long, long payment plan. And to get that, they paid way over the odds. It's not Pepe's fault, but look, at the end of the day, he doesn't get in Arsenal's best team. When Arsenal have their best 11 on the field, unfortunately, right now, he's not in it. He's a good player. He really, really is a good player. And he's shown moments where he just looks tremendous. But he hasn't adapted. Well, he hasn't been coached well. Simple as that. He was bought by Emery. Arteta hasn't fancied him, really. I don't think Arteta's done a particularly good job uh, of, of managing him. So I don't think it's his fault. But right now, it, it, it is only going one way. It's going massively into the, into the flop bin. Uh, Kepa, Atletico Bilbao, sorry, Atletic Bilbao to Chelsea, €80 million Euro in 2018. Uh, Seven-year contract as well. Fantastic. Um, Statistically, the worst shot stopper in the Premier League last season. Obviously, he's lost his place this year. There's a good goalkeeper in there. It's not going to be found at Chelsea. He may he may well be broken. Uh, he may well just be uh, psychologically done. But there is a really good goalkeeper in there. He was really good for Bilbao. Really, really good for them. He was becoming Spain's number one. And it's just all gone way, way into the toilet since he joined Chelsea. Um, and the last one then is Lucas Hernandez, Atletic, Atletico Madrid to Bayern Munich, 80 million euro, 2019. Um, a good player who's kind of stuck between positions. Physically, he's more suited to being a left back, but his skill set is more suited to playing centre back. Um obviously part of that French team that won the World Cup. He's a really good player. Really good player. 
But this was an overpay. This was Byron paid his buyout clause to get him in. He's had a bunch of injuries. And unfortunately, Alaba has just sort of made that left centre-back position his own. Now, Alaba will leave this summer, and I think Hernandez will take that spot. He's still young. I still think he's got a lot of runway left. I still think he's going to be a really good player for them. Um, he is only 25. He just turned 25 this year. I think he'll be good for, for a number of years. I think Bayern will get the money out of him. Right now, it's it's again, it's somewhere in the middle. Look, they won a Champions League last year. He played a role. Um, it's not like he never plays for them. Last season, he played 25 games in all competitions as they swept the board. This season, he's already played 29 in all competitions. He's a valuable player there. It's obviously just not, he hasn't justified the 80 million, but I think he will over the long term. Uh, and that's it. So when you look at them, there's an awful lot of failures there, especially in the in the top 10. In the top 10, I don't know that you could look at many of them and say definite runaway success. In fact, I look at them and I don't think there's one that you could. There's not one of the 10 most expensive signings of all time that I would say definite success. The second half of it, 11, 15, 16, 17. Yeah, there's a few in the second half. But of the top 20, there's maybe four. Maybe four that have been a success. So I think I think it tells you all you need to know. Don't spend huge money on players. <laughs> Just don't do it. It's it's there's very few players that are gonna be worth that type of money. They may look like they are, but generally they're not. Um, right. What I wanted to have a quick look at was just the international games over the weekend. So obviously England won both the games. So that now means they're going to win the world cup and that's great. Congratulations to them. Um, bit of a mixed bag for the rest. Obviously Northern Ireland lost to, um, to Italy, Scotland drew with Austria. That was all well and good. Then uh, on Saturday, it all went to pot. Um, Ireland lost 1-0 at home to Luxembourg, which, you know, we'll talk about in a moment. I'm, I'm thrilled to talk about it. Really, really am. Um, Scotland drew with Israel. I think that's a solid result for them away. Israel had had their number a little bit. Israel are not good. But they'd had Scotland's number over the last three games. They'd beaten them once, drawn once. And the one Scotland won, they won on penalties. So Israel could easily look at it and say, look, within 90 minutes, they haven't beaten us in the last three games. Now it's four games, but I still think it's a solid result. Um, so the biggest, obviously, shock of the weekend is Ireland losing 1-0 at home to Luxembourg. And... It was a dreadful game of football to watch, and the result is is embarrassing. Luxembourg are not good, uh, not by any standard are they good. But the result is more the accumulation of what happened over the previous 15 years or so uh, than anything else. Um, there's a book called Champagne Football by Mark Thai and Paul Rowan. I, I would invite everybody to go and, and get a copy of it and read it. Uh, it basically it's an in-depth look at at John Delaney and his time 
in charge of Irish football. And just the, the sheer waste of money um, that that went on under him. And the, the life he lived, like, you, you'll, be, you'll be amazed if you read that book at, at what went on. But you look at Irish football and you look at the lack of investment in the infrastructure of Ireland for Irish football over the last 15 years, but the FAI have a fancy headquarters. We don't have a national academy system, but we've got a stadium that we now can't afford to really pay for anymore. Um, there's, n- there's never been any long-term strategic planning in Irish football. Never. And they've always tried to do things on the cheap. Go, go back and look at, you know, 2002. Look at what happened with Roy Keane and what his gripes were. Was over them doing things on the cheap and how the players would fly in economy class while the FAI and the fancy people would sit up front in business class. They've they've treated players like stock, you know, as opposed to important, valuable athletes. Um, there is a path to Irish football being fixed, but it would it would take quite a bit of investment, and there's just no money to spend anymore. Uh, Brian Kerr was on Virgin Media Sports or whatever it's called, I, I, God knows, um, and he was talking about the lack of development of young Irish players. Now, nobody knows more about this than him because the last time Ireland were producing high-end players on a semi-regular basis was when he was in charge of the underage system in Ireland. But you look at the squad and... There's a whole bunch of talented players aged 22 and below. And there's not a whole lot above that. Not a whole lot at all. Um, There are talented players. There's Premier League players. But all being told, it's, it's not a good squad. I mean, look, Mark Travers is currently the backup goalkeeper for uh for Bournemouth. Okay, he he's one of the goalkeepers in the squad. Gavin Basunu is on loan at Rochdale from Manchester City. He's about City's sixth choice keeper. And Kieran O'Hara plays for Burton Albion. Between the three of them they've got six caps. Okay? Six caps. And Basuno won his the weekend in this game. Um Seamus Coleman was very, very good and then broke his leg and hasn't been the same player since. Still a good player, but that's a bit it. Shane Duffy is a championship-level defender. Kieran Clark is a championship-level defender. Cyrus Christie is a championship player. Ender Stevens is a good player, no question. Uh, Matt Doherty is a good player in the right system, but he's a wing-back, not a full-back. Dara O'Shea is a good, unproven player having his first season in the Premier League, still quite raw, but there's promise there. But he's 22. Uh, Daryl Lenehan is at Blackburn, and Ryan Manning is at Swansea. So there's a couple of Premier League players there, but even some of the ones that are in the Premier League are championship quality. And there's only one of them under the age of 22 in Daryl O'Shea. The ones above that, largely fairly average or past the best, Stevens and Doherty are the best two. And as as wing backs, absolutely fine, but not as fullbacks. 
you look in the midfield, James McLean plays in the championship. He's past his best. Cousin Jeff, a solid player, not spectacular, not a game winner, but a, a solid player. Robbie Brady, good player, talented, always injured. Um, Alan Brown, championship player. Daryl Hogan, championship player. Ryan, uh, Ronan Curtis, championship player. Uh, Josh Cullen, championship level player. And he is at Andalek now, and he's you know doing quite well and fair play to him. Then there's the three really talented young players. Jason Malumbi, who's owned by Brighton, on loan at Preston. Josh Knight, who's at Derby, really, really good player. And young Connor Coventry from West Ham. Really talented midfield players. All 21 or younger. Then you've got up front Shane Long in the championship now, where he should have been for the last four years. Callum Robinson, championship player. James Collins, championship player. And Troy Parrott, who's 19 and on loan at, at Ipswich from, from Spurs. Not Premier League ready yet. None of the midfield three, Malumbi, Knight or Coventry, are, are Premier League ready yet either. And I don't think Dara O'Shea is either. Um, players that have been called up in the last 12 months but weren't in this squad for one reason or another. Cuevin Kelleher, Liverpool's second or third choice goalkeeper. No caps yet, but very talented. Darren Randolph is nominally the number one at the minute. He's the second-choice goalkeeper at West Ham. He's a championship-level player. Kevin Egan, championship-level player. John, uh, sorry, Kevin Long, championship-level player. Derek Williams, who's currently playing in um, in the MLS for LA Galaxy, uh, didn't really have much of a career to note in, in England, uh, largely a championship-level player, Bristol um, and Blackburn after coming through the Aston Villa Academy, has moved to the LA Galaxy in in, in March this month after his contract was was uh, was mutually cancelled with Blackburn. So we'll wait and see. But he hasn't done it at the Premier League level. He's got three caps for Ireland. He's not a player that's going to move the needle for you. Um, and John Egan, who's you know a good, solid Premier League football player. So, again... You know, there's not a whole lot to work with here. Conor Huron's a good player in the Championship. He struggled in the Premier League. Callum O'Dowd is the same. Jack Byrne is super talented, but for some reason has decided to go and mess about in the Cypriot League. Uh, Aaron McEnough, I don't know enough about. He plays for Hearts. Who knows? They're, they're Scottish Championship, so like they're not even Scottish Premier League. Um, Jack Taylor of Peterborough is talented, but he's 22, hasn't been capped yet, and he, again, he's playing in the lower, lower leagues. James MacArthur and Harry Arthur, James McCarthy and Harry Arthur, good players, championship caliber players at this point, both 30 or over, time to move them on. And then up front, you've got Aaron Connolly, talented, not yet a proven player in the Premier League, probably championship level at this point. Um, Adam Aday, Championship level player at this point, but again, big, big talent. And then Sean Maguire and Graham Burke, lower league players. Graham Burke plays in the in the uh the Irish League. Um Maguire plays the Preston in the in the championship. Um when you go through that, there there is the long-term making of a team, you know, with with say Travers, um, if you could put together Stevens and Doherty as wing backs. 
O'Shea, Egan, and then one more as a back three with the two boys as wing-backs. And then you say you go Knight, Malumbi, and, and Cousin Jeff as a midfield three, and then Troy Parrott and Connolly as a, as a strike pair, right? That's, a, that's something you can build on long-term. Now, admittedly, three of the defenders are you know pushing 30, but you've got to go with what you've got. There's nothing between the ages of 22 and 28 in that, that team. Nothing. Everybody's that age or older, that age or younger. There's no 23, 24, 25, 26, 27-year-olds in the mix for Ireland. In the entire squad that's been called up over the last 12 months, you've got O'Hara, Lenehan, Brown and Curtis, Cullen, Robinson, O'Dowda, McInef, Maguire and Burke. None of them playing regularly in the Premier League. There are no Irish players playing regularly in the Premier League who are in that mid-20s region. Not even playing in the SPL in that mid-20s region. Not even playing at a high level in the championship. Mid-table championship players, these are. These aren't lads at Norwich, at Swansea, at Watford. These are playing in the mid-table. The failure to develop players and also steal players from England over the last bunch of years is why the team is where it is now. What Stephen Kenny's being asked to do is basically take the under-21 team and the under-19 team and immediately make them senior players. And a lot of them just are not ready. They haven't had the minutes at club level, at a high enough level. And they've never played at a senior level for the country. Certainly not on a regular basis. Sub-appearance here, start against the bad team there. Like, Jason Knight is a player I think is going to be tremendous, but... He's got four caps. He's playing for Derby, who are in, you know mid-table in the championship. I think they're mid-table now in the championship. They were bottom half, obviously, for quite the run. They finished mid-table last season. Uh, where are you in the championship this year, actually, Derby? Uh, you are... No, the 19th. They're not even mid-table. They're, they're, they're you know scrapping against relegation. They're five points off the relegation places, and Rotherham have four games in hand on them. So, you know, it, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for where you know where they are right now, um, and and that all translates. Like Stephen Kenny's a good manager. He is. He is a good manager, but he has inherited a very bad situation, and it's not the fault of previous managers. Let's be clear on that. It's not the fault of Mick McCarthy or Martin O'Neill or Trapattoni. It's not their fault at all. It's the fault of the FAI. The failure to develop Irish players. Irish football has lost so many fantastic talents to GAA, to hurling, to rugby, and to athletics over the last number of years. Rugby and GAA especially. 
And, I mean, there are solutions, but one of the things that needs to happen is Ireland needs to get more serious about developing young players. And with Brexit having happened, it does represent an opportunity to keep more young players in the country and develop them at home. Now, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not sure of. There are a lot of talented young coaches in Ireland, and maybe, maybe, maybe there will be investment in developing young coaches. But what's really needed is like centralized academies, one in each province, one in Connacht, one in Leinster, one in Ulster, one in Munster, and then a fifth one in Dublin, because Dublin needs one specifically for itself. And you bring all the best young players in those provinces into those academies and develop them. But now, like, we see a lot of young Irish players, they leave at 15, 16 to go to England, and they get lost in the shuffle at clubs, and they're out of the game by the time they're 19, 20. Whereas if you can develop them at home, you might give them more of a fighting chance, and you might send them over to England at 20, 21 as a more rounded player, a more developed player, a more developed individual a person more ready to go away from home. Do you know? But the fault of all of this is not on Stephen Kenny. It is on the FAI and the FAI's refusal to properly invest over the past 15 years. To properly plan for the future of Irish football. They've just ignored it. Kenny has now managed 10 games for Ireland. He's yet to win one. He's drawn four and lost six. And it makes him look like a dreadful manager, but he genuinely is not a dreadful manager. He is a good manager. He's proven that. Look at what he did with Derry, Shamrock Rovers and Dundalk. He is a good manager. But Irish football is in a very bad situation. So when you sit at home this evening and you worry about your Scottish team or your Welsh team or your English team or whatever, just remember it could always be worse. You could be us. You could be losing 1-0 at home to Luxembourg. Uh, England's under-21s now, by the way, not setting the world alight at the under-21 uh, tournament. They've lost their first two games to Switzerland and Portugal. Uh, this is what happens when AD, AD Boothroyd is giving is given the, the job managing your best young players. Uh, we'll finish up with the gossip and get out of here for the day. Uh, Real Madrid's Norwegian midfielder, Martin Odegaard, who is currently alone at Arsenal, has emerged as a transfer target for Liverpool and Chelsea. I would love him at Liverpool. I, I, I love him. I think he's a great player. I would love to have him at Liverpool. Um, Arsenal want to keep Odegaard, but have a couple of concerns over the prospects of a permanent deal. Germany... International Thomas Muller, who has been a target for Manchester United in the past, said he was would have no problem quitting Bayern Munich. He says it. I, I think he would. I don't think he'll ever leave. I think he's one of the lifers. Uh, Juventus, well, Juventus's Welsh midfielder Aaron Ramsey, Brazilian defender Alexandro, and Argentine forward Paulo Dybala, Dybala, no words today, no words, are all tipped to leave the club this summer. Um... Nobody's taking Ramsey off them when he's on that type of money. So they're going to have to loan him and pay most of his wages. Uh, Sandro, if somebody will sign Sandro, he's still a player. He's still a good player. He was a, he was a great left back a few years ago. He has fallen off massively. 
They'd be foolish to sell Dybala. Absolutely foolish. Um, Juve are... <laughs> you love this. Juve are willing to use Dybala, whose contract runs out in 2022, as part of a swap deal for a number of targets, including Paul Pogba. This swap deal has been talked about for years. It's never going to happen. Never going to happen. Uh, former Tottenham striker Jermaine Defoe believes England forward Harry Kane has to leave Spurs if he wants to win trophies. It may be right, but I think a trophy there would mean more to him than one somewhere else. Um, Barcelona want to extend Usman Dembele's contract beyond his current deal, which runs out in 2022. Well, they don't really have a choice, do they? They really, really don't have a choice. Manchester United missed out on signing him last summer, but remain interested and are in touch with his entourage. Um, United keep talking about how they need a right winger. Usman plays right wing at his best, so yeah, maybe, maybe that, maybe that makes sense. Uh, maybe they could swap Pogba for for Tembele and both teams just get rid of the players they don't want to keep but may have to. Um, France goalkeeper Hugo Lloris is unlikely to leave Tottenham this summer, despite his current deal coming to an end. If I was Tottenham, I'd be pushing him out the door. I really would. I would be pushing him out the door. Um, Manchester United have opened talks with AC Milan to discuss the Italian club turning Diogo Delot's loan move into a permanent switch. Eh. I mean, I think United are mad to, to let him go. I'd be trying to keep him. I think he's a good player, and I think he's a nice contrast to Juan Bissaka right back. Juan Bissaka is purely defensive. The lot's much better going forward. I think he would have a, a role to play at United if they were managed by someone other than a PE teacher. Um, Liverpool will prepare a 15 million bid to sign Turkey goalkeeper Uga Curran Kakir from Trabzonspor with RB Leipzig and Sevilla also interested in the 24-year-old. Liverpool have been linked with him for a couple of years. That's probably just a regurgitation of an old one. Uh, Real Madrid and Germany midfielder Tony Cruz is set to retire from internationals after this summer's European Championships. I, I doubt With a World Cup next year, I, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. I, I think he'll play on to the World Cup and then he'll call it quits. Uh, Serb Alexander Kolarov could leave Inter Milan at the end of the season with Bologna, one of five clubs interested in signing him. It'd be an odd one for Bologna, but then they are managed by Mihailovic. So that might be the connection there. But they tend to go for younger players. They've already got Aaron, uh, Aaron Hickey, the young Scott, playing left back. I don't see that one. Um, I don't know why Inter Milan signed him in the first place. Uh, former Arsenal defender Bakary Saka said he would not be surprised if Spain right back Hector Bellerin leaves the Gunners. Again, if I was Arsenal, I'd be pushing him out the door. He's never been the same since he tore his ACL. He wasn't a particularly great player before that anyway. Very, very one-dimensional. Like a, a very fast player. Was entertaining going forward, but not particularly brilliant. Uh, always been weak defensively, unless his pace could bail him out. So you wouldn't be, wouldn't be uh, too far gone on him. And that's it. That is the gossip for today. That is the show for today. Thank you, as always, to Guy Drinkle. Thank you to you for listening. Um, and uh, thanks to Fox Hunt. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.